Romeo Void were not commercially successful when their records were released back in the early 1980s, but they have since become very influential over time. A live recording has just been released for Record Store Day, recorded at the Mabuhai Gardens November 14, 1980. We found front person Deborah Ayal at home in New Mexico and spoke to her about the early days of Romeo Void, her struggles with the record industry, and her determination to be an artist on her own terms. But when Liberation Hall one day put out this one, I was really intrigued because it was so early in our formation. We hadn't been together all that long. Um, maybe about nine months or maybe a little longer. And Benjamin Bossy, the sax player, had just recently joined the band, like approximately a month or six weeks maybe before the show. So um, to listen back, I love the intense energy, but I also really respected how rehearsed we were. You know, yeah. pretty much, I mean, I kind of go off a little bit, you know, whoops, I'm on the wrong bar, you know, everyone else is, <laughs> came in on the one and I like I'm behind or something. I, I hear things like that because I'm very aware of how, what a beginner I was in the beginning. Right, right, right. So, and like you, your original drummer was on that recording, Jay, he, he left. So what was the band, what was the vibe of the van? Where were you guys at? Were you thinking about signing to recording and signing? Were you thinking about where you were going to no, go? No, I don't think we'd been topic? approached. If we'd been approached by Howie Klein from 415 Records, we hadn't done anything about it yet. Initially, right. when he he approached us, he just wanted to put out a 45. Right. And um, uh, Frank, our bass player, him and I started the band pretty much when we were both in art school. Um, right. He said, no, I, I think we should tell him we want to hold off until we can do a whole album. Okay. So I thought, okay, you know, yeah, why not? Of course, we'd rather have an album come out than just a 45. And so I told Howie Klein that to kind of just put him off for a while and, you know, keep checking back with us, come see us a few more times. And yep. so um, I thought that was kind of neat that... I'm sure we were super flattered anyone wanted to do anything with us, but at the same time, we had we felt like, you know, we had to kind of hold our own too. To, gotcha, yeah. I, I like the fact that you covered uh, Double Shot of My Baby's Love on this recording. Why oh, did that you fall? like that song when you were younger? I woke up this song in my head so bad was the worst hangover that I ever had What happened to me last night? A girl of mine, she loved me so bad Oh, she loved me so bad she loved me so hard Finally passed out in her brain yard Was the one that I had to much hope Was a double shot of my baby's love Double shot of my baby's love medallions <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah it was pretty you know uh, kind of a little pivotal song for me it was the first 45 i ever bought with my own money oh there you go and i love the kind of raucousness of it and the uh, provocative it was such a thrill it was hurting me <laughs> i was suffering in ecstasy i like that i was about 14 you know right Maybe even 13. <laughs> right, 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 right. And I thought, woo, these guys, you know, 
I can't wait to get older. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So, uh, so after Romeo Void ran their course, got signed to Columbia and all that and all that, and finally split up, you, you released a solo album, which I have a copy of here. Um, so oh my I'm, goodness. Because, um, so a lot of people don't know about the solo album. They know about Romeo Void. Uh, what, what happened That's there? Right. What, what was that process like for you? What, uh, putting out that record? Well, um, at the time, I just, you know, wanted to keep making music. Romeo Wooden and I were having hard time getting along. The label was, what's weird is that they even signed me at all to do a solo record. Right. Because they only, they dropped the band out of the promotion budget after Girl in Trouble and decided not to release a second single, which we had already paid for a video being made. Right, right. You know, and so it's like these record companies, no matter what happens, you're the one who's paying for it, you know, out of your advance. Yep, 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 all, yeah, you know, there's nobody seeing any money from these advances and you, you never can recoup because it's just so much. And we didn't realize at the time that every time someone from the label took us all out for dinner at some fancy restaurant and we drank champagne and ate creme brulee, yep. we didn't realize this is, we're paying for all of this. That's right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you know, we're naive and, but we did always keep our own publishing. So oh, sure. I'm really yeah. grateful for that because um, there's these little surprise checks I get, and it's all about the songwriting. So, yep. Well, it, interesting. Um, I feel really that. good because I just watched a documentary about Little Richard, and uh, it's called "I Am Everything." Yeah. And what happened with Little Richard? He was signed to Specialty Records, and he had all this string of hits, and then he stopped because he he, uh, he stopped recording. He found the church and whatever. He threw all his jewelry in the uh, ocean here in Australia, and so what ha his record company said, well, you, you've voided your contract. They never paid him a dime for the records, sales, or his songwriting since then. And it's just like, oh, I had no idea that had happened. And this is revealed in this, in this documentary. And it's like, you just never know what. So every, you know, all that stuff that he did, I mean, he basically helped to invent rock and roll and he got nothing for it. <laughs> That is a crime. Yep, yep, yep. So you hear you know, the, it was carte blanche then, and in some ways, you know, it still is. So. It still is, yep. I mean, you get your point oh 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 one two three cents for your streaming thing, and you're going, oh, goody, I got great numbers. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. And they'll say how many plays, and it could be like a really huge amount, and then it'll say your share, 13 cents. That's right. You know? <laughs> You can take that to the bank. Gee. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so it, it was talking about the record. So how were you treated by the record labels back then? Well, I would say hot and cold. You know, sometimes, you know, they were very, you know, friendly and wanted us, you know, and seemed enthusiastic. And, and um, some of the press people, you know, setting us up for our interviews and everything were very gracious and understanding of us as artists and individuals and then other times it just seemed like it's too bad that you know the money people 
didn't feel the same. Right. Oh, they never you know. <laughs> so, and the one who come up with the promotion budgets and decide where, you know, priorities are going to go for the whole label. And there was a lot of pushback a lot about uh, my looks, you know, when it came time to do a video. So they wanted right. to have a female lead that wasn't me. Right. Could, right. You know, someone who would be more attractive and, you know, <laughs> Gee, thanks, guys. You know, exactly. but you know, I understood by that time. I I knew full well I didn't um, fit in the Times beauty standard. Although I really appreciate uh, now Lizzo saying I am the beauty standard. That's right. Yeah. You know, yep. so that, that's got to be. She's gotta, she's got the right idea. Have you ever met her? I tried in my own way, but I think I was inhibited a little bit by the Times. Right, yeah. I'm sure you were. I mean, you were a pioneer in, and, in that respect. Yeah, I was trying not to be apologetic about my looks or anything, but you know, I can see my, um, you know, how I was intimidated, you know, by that kind of criticism. And yeah, yep. You know, and it wasn't just you, like uh, Anne Wilson. Internally, right. sorry. And Ann Wilson from Heart kind of has gone through the same thing, you know, and just anybody who, you know, this, the the look is more important than the sound, it feels like. Yeah. I remember, yeah, I, I just kind of looked at it science-wise a little bit too, and it's like, okay, my circumference is just a little bit larger. In the scheme of things, does anyone really care? Because I really never felt the fans cared. Right. I don't think, I felt I think like you're right. Yeah. Fans embraced us for exactly who we were. Yep. And we weren't putting on any airs for them. I would, you know, they could see, you know, what we were and what I looked like. And that was part of the appeal for plenty of them, especially sure. being from California. There's lots of Chicanos that we had as fans and a lot of uh, gay people, you know, were fans and, we had, you know, gay people in our road crews and our friends in other bands. And so it was uh, certainly a lot of the punk bands around, you know, the Alley Cats, the Controllers, the Zeros. You know, we had non-white people, yep. you know, in bands, you know, who were playing the clubs just as much as anyone else, as, just right. as much as the Dills. <laughs> so did you feel like you were part well, of that scene? They embarrassed themselves, didn't they? When they came out, they were like cowboy something. I forget. They had a band after they did Rank and File. Um, and it had the yeah. word cowboy in it. It was just like, oh, what are you guys doing? <laughs> but. So did you feel like you were part of a scene at least? With all those other bands that you mentioned? Oh, sure. Yep. Sure. Because, I mean, Mabuhay was open seven nights a week. Right. And at the time, I was in art school. Actually, my tribe was helping pay for it. Right. They paid my tuition and gave me $900 a year to live on. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which didn't go very far. But, you know, I was able to get other little jobs both at school and through different programs, you know. Um, I helped... Uh, a lot of Mexican muralists over the summer one year work on murals out in the Mission District, you know, yeah. for, uh, you know, very modest hourly wage, but it was definitely money coming in and buying groceries and paying rent. So. Yeah, yeah. Now, speaking yeah. of paying rent, I see some of your songs have been used in films over the years, like uh, uh, Dodgeball and Wolf on Wall Street and things like that. Did you have any 
that uh, they must pay well. But what what if somebody said, "I'm going to put Never Say Never in this film," and you were it's you didn't like the film, or you thought the film stood for something that you didn't feel strongly about? Would you have a say in that? The way it works. It's actually been different. Like we have wanted to have our music in films that got turned down by Columbia. Oh, really? <laughs> because they weren't willing to pay enough or, you know, it was more of an indie film and it right. wouldn't have as high profile. And, you know, so I would say that happened more than us. I actually had the total wrong idea about um, Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. So from my point of view, Wolf of Wall Street, Directed by Martin Scorsese. Music, um, the music for the film was Robbie Robertson. Right. Native American, you yep. know? Yep. And so I thought with the lyrics of Never Say Never and the idea of Wolf of Wall Street and the haves and the have-nots and the 1%, you know, yeah. the 99%, all that, that was kind of the talk of the time, Occupy Wall Street, you know? I thought, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be political. You know, no, it was a party scene, <laughs> you yeah. know, when he's meeting his new girl and um, that one actor, Jonah, whatever, is like, you know, basically, I guess the term in New Zealand would be wanking at <laughs> the party. Right. <laughs> and that's when my song's on. I was like, oh, God, really? <laughs> Oh, well. Here I thought they were going to be slumped by the courthouse with wind-burnt skin. You know, that right. man could give a <clears throat> about the grin, you know, on your face as you walk by Randy's a goat. He's sleeping on papers. He'd be warm in your coat. I thought, oh, that's the lyric they're going to use. Wolf of Wall Street? Are you kidding? No, they just played the chorus over and over again in the scene. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. All right. <laughs> Now, speaking yeah. of occupying Wall Street, you occupied Alcatraz, didn't you? I sure did. Good yeah. on you. <laughs> I was a very curious teen. I definitely knew that I was uh, seeking an alternative uh, to the world I was raised in, very conformist, um, kind of slightly provincial, small townish, uh, Fresno, California, conservative compared to like the Bay Area. Right. And my mom was very progressive. And so when I told her I wanted to go to Alcatraz for Christmas vacation, she said, okay. I, I, I was know. only 16. Pretty cool. Yeah, I took the Greyhound bus up there. <laughs> so and what, what was the occupation blessing, itself like? What, what, what happened? Well, I mean, we were all on this very cold island. Yes. But there was a lot of community, and I actually spent a New Year's Eve there. And uh, I went between Christmas and just after New Year's. So um, I was probably there four or five days. and But everyone, I mean, the conditions were kind of rough, you know, because there wasn't any heat or electricity or anything in any of the buildings we were staying at, except they had generators going in the main hall where everyone ate and where the kitchen was. And so I, you know, 
right away the very first day I was there, I started hanging out with the women who are working in the kitchen. Right. So I had somebody to hang out with, get to know, and, you know, I had a purpose and, you know, I could help out, you know, putting out the oatmeal in the morning or making coffee or whatever. So, but it was, it was good for me to, um, seek, you know, uh, a different kind of outlook and political action than I had been able to before. Right, you know, right. which up until that time had been like some anti-war marches, probably. Yeah. And and uh, I went to quite a few of those really big ones in San Francisco, even where, you know, it's like 200,000 people on the street. Yep. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Those were the times. <laughs> Could mm -hmm. use a little protesting nowadays. <laughs> Do you follow politics very closely in the States now? Um. Somewhat, yes. Um, I just have to say it's really tough. Yeah, okay. Because everything that has happened, you know, just in the last, you know, eight years or so, and the tide and just all the things we thought we fought for, you know, the ideas and things just haven't been accepted by the mainstream whatsoever and the conservatives are stronger than ever the yeah, yeah. dehumanization of all peoples you know continues the uh, yeah it's hard as far as i'm concerned you know to gotcha. watch it happen yeah yeah you know now, after, you got out of music. after being in in a position to like say we need La Raza studies at Fresno State, you know, because you know I remember going to a march for that, right? You know, um, and then to now have them, you know, uh, banning books and you know making um, critical thinking, you know, being you know the enemy of the people, <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> what the heck? What happened? Yep, they seem to be taking steps backwards. The abortion issue is big over there. They've never passed the ERA. So, you know, it's like, what the heck? Never, <laughs> never. That's amazing. I remember women's lib is going to get your mom, is going to get your sister, going to get your girlfriend. I remember marching with this sign for the ERA. 72, I believe, it was the yep. huge women's marches then. And my gosh. That was 50 years ago, yes, 51 indeed. years ago. So, so over That's the years, the you've reason. spent a lot of time teaching, with, working with children. Yeah. Uh, so that must be uh, High school. fulfilling and interesting, but you still dabble in music from time to time. So how do you juggle those <laughs> events? What, what's your status now? With I retired music? from um, teaching public school last year. Oh, okay. Yeah, once um, after the, the pandemic accelerated me, retiring from that. Um, I probably would have taught for at least another year because I just turned 69. It was my plan to work till I was 70. Mm -hmm. But once the pandemic hit, it really changed things so much. And then, you know, at first it was learning how to teach remotely, you know, use Zoom or now we have Riverside here. But um, I felt like I adapted to it and I was still able to reach a lot of students the ones that weren't logging in, what can you do? That's not anything I had control over. I made my classes as attractive as I could and as, um, you know, 
active as I could and I I did my best and then once we were back in the classroom we had 40 kids per class I had you know 10 tables of four students five periods a day and I just thought oh man this is this is so risky for me at my age my weight you know and all that and um then when they said they gave us like 10 days notice that, okay, as of this date, the kids are not going to have to wear masks anymore. Right. And I thought, okay, that's it. I'm not, I can't do that. I just can't right. ask myself to shorten my end of years. You know, I have a lot more I still want to do. Right. So that's when I left my job just a year ago. And that's when we moved to New Mexico. Because oh, okay. honestly, you know, we could afford a house here, you know, and and to fix it up. My husband's an audio engineer, and he can work remotely. And um, I'm working on a band, actually, with him. He's the drummer. And then the guy who's been helping us fix up our house is a carpenter and a really good guitarist. Oh, cool. And we have a little cover band called the Raton 3. Right. And we're having our public debut on uh, Memorial Day weekend on Sunday at the local Roundhouse Park. Okay. So it's been really fun. We do things from Johnny Cash's I Still Miss Someone. Right. Um, Mazzy Star Fade Into You. <laughs> you know, from Sugar Shack to <laughs> Black by Pearl Jam. We have a really eclectic um, list. Yep. and. As far as I'm concerned, it's like songs from the last millennium. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, That's quite I don't have a lot of hope that there will be an entire another millennium. Right. You know. Yep. Yep. Uh, but I, I also just sort of, I know that we stopped really considering any songs after, you know, pretty much we got into the 90s a little bit, you know, when we're... Yep planning our songs, but pretty much not too much after that. And we start kind of early, you know, we were doing a Johnny Rivers song, The Poor oh, Side of Town. I love Johnny Rivers. <laughs> Me too. Summer rain taps yep. at my window. And oh. Secret Agent Man's yeah. pretty good too. And I just love to sing, so <laughs> I just can't be stopped. <laughs> well, I won't do go anything? away. Do you do anything to keep your voice in shape or is it naturally holding up? I sing up? as often as I can. Right. I think just singing is the idea, you know. Right. Um, I've been sober now for um, 27 years. I think right. that's helped. That, yeah, it you know, I don't have that whiskey sound in my voice because it's not ravaged. Gotcha. You know, I have regular sleep habits and I swim regularly. I have some... You know, I take healthy risks now, yeah, yeah. you know, and I feel like I have a positive, grateful attitude, basically. I may not have the most um, optimistic outlook, but, right, you know, I'm right. still absolutely grateful for, you know, life yeah. and for Romeo Void. Yay. Because I can't believe <laughs> yeah. how those guys put up with my lack of experience at the beginning of Romeo Void and just let yeah. me go with it. They all knew yeah. how to play their instruments. And I didn't even, you know, they'd ask me, they'd say, well, just count the bars, you know, come in on this bar. And I'm like, what is a bar? What is a bar? You know, yeah. I didn't understand. Well, that's what punk rock was all about, though, you know? It was like, just go for I it. Know, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, so they believed in me. They had faith in me. And, 
wow, I mean, what a better compliment is there, you know, from your band members than to just, you know, uh, have confidence that we were going to bring out the best in each other. Right, right. Yep, yep. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'll have to look out for the Raton 3 then and see what you guys get up to. After Raton. Raton. Yeah, Raton. <laughs> and that's the name. Well, that's the I'm town sort of Mexico hoping maybe in, next right? year. Yeah. It's this little town cool. um, almost to Colorado in northern New Mexico. So we're at like 6,600 feet. It snowed last Friday. <laughs> <laughs> but then like it was 70 yeah. a few days later in the afternoon. It's just that's how it is here. Gotcha. Have you ever been to New Zealand? No, I haven't, but I have met some incredible Maori artists and educators. All right. I went to a arts education conference about 2003, and a whole group of educators from New Zealand came over. They were all Maori, and they were amazing. Yeah. They all sang and played guitar, and they had the most up-to-date, you know, sort of teaching practice you know, cooperative learning and all this stuff that we were barely trying to do and didn't really understand how to do. They were on it, you know, so the education, um, yep. um, that seemed to be very advanced compared to America and the people we met gotcha. just, I fell in love with them. One of them was an extra in whale rider. So whenever oh, I watch whale rider, I'm like, where is he? There he is by the fire. <laughs> Yeah. Everybody, everybody knows everybody in New Zealand. So it's like, you know, that, that's a very typical experience. And I was, I moved here in 94 and I was very surprised and pleased to see that the, that Romeo Void is fairly well respected here. They, they know who the band and, you know, we want DJ and stuff and we play your songs and it gets a rise out of everybody. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I've noticed that too with my royalty checks because at, at Every six months, you get one that's international. Then every right. three months, it's just national. And I always yep. notice New Zealand and Australia always have high numbers. Germany is another one. Italy, right. you know, yep. Chile, amazingly enough. Um, <laughs> Japan, somewhat. Yeah. yeah. So New Zealand, actually, I would, you know, secretly, I would love to go there. I don't know if I actually ever will, but. And there's a lot of great uh, visual artists. Um, I went to a an arts artists gathering up at uh, Evergreen College in Washington State, and it was called the Circle of the Rim. And they had artists from New Zealand and Australia and Hawaii, as well right. as Washington, Oregon, and California. And uh, it was so awesome. So for a week, we were all making art together. So there were a couple of um, New Zealand um, carvers that were there doing carving with the Northwest carvers, which right. was really incredible. And then a couple of the printmakers I was doing, primarily printmaking, um, were also um, New Zealand Maori artists. So. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. I love the people. Yeah. Yep. People are good here. Yes. Well, they're kind of good everywhere if you get the right people. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that. Yep. Too. So thank you very much. Have a great day. Come down to New Zealand if you can. You. We'd love to see you. <laughs> okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. -bye. Bye.